It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You see, I thought I had it all together. I didn't realize that. I was handsome. I was in good shape. I was funny, even though my sense of humor was missed by most of my friends. But the funny thing about it is I didn't realize all of this. And neither did the girls that I hung out with. And this was just the story of my life. So I want to set the stage for you. The year was 1991. I know some of you weren't born, and some of you were. But the reality is this. Her name was Mia Gerard. In 1991, culminated my eight-year infatuation with her. I mean, it had been eight years that I had liked this girl. I mean, really liked this girl, patiently waiting, watching her with other guys, waiting for my opportunity. And it seemed like it was going to happen. So you got to understand this about us. So my mom and her mom taught at the same school. So this meant that we spent a lot of time together after school waiting for our parents to be ready, my mom, her mom, ready to be go home. So this is what I've concluded. If you spend an unhealthy amount of time with anything, you will start to like it. That's the only reason that people eat guacamole, so you know. So, so here I am spending all this time with this girl. And, like, I really like her. And uh, I, I, was just, I was just waiting. When, when, when is my time going to happen? I'll never forget the day. We went out to eat pizza and walked the mall with some of her best friends, another guy and a girl that were dating. And, you know, I really believe that they were pulling for me in this relationship just as much as I wanted it to happen. And we went out and, you know, we came back to her friend's house and we were talking and she said, well, I've got to go. And that's when I knew it's time for the rodster to strike. <laughs> so I walked her to her car I opened the door, and that's when it happened. She looked at me, and she started talking, and she had a voice of an angel. And she said, Roddy, I want to let you know this. I really like you. I think you're funny, and I love spending time with you. At that point, my world changed. And you know why it changed? It, I do this to my wife today, and it drives her crazy. I realized that I really couldn't understand what she was saying from then on because I was so excited. Her lips were moving, but all I heard was, wah, 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 wah. And then she must have realized that I was zoning out. She said, do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm like, oh, do I understand? I shut the door, she drove off, and I floated back to the house to where our friends were waiting. And I looked at them and I said, you're not going to believe this. Mia likes me, we're dating. She's my girlfriend. That was Saturday night. Sunday morning, we went to the same church. And as I sat in church on one side of the auditorium, and I would gaze across to the other side of the auditorium where she just glowed, there she sat, and I'd look at her, and I'd sit back and think, that's my girl. After church, we had, had to sing like 13 verses of Just As I Am. I walked over to where she was sitting, and I walked up to her, and I said, Hey, Mia, how you doing? And she goes, I'm fine. How are you? And I'm like, i got to be honest with you. I would hardly sleep last night. I was so excited. And she's like, what? I'm like, I was so excited. What are you excited about? Well, I knew that if I waited, that it would be so worth it. And I waited and waited and waited, and 
I said, I am just so excited to be able to call you my girlfriend. At that point, something happened that I wasn't quite prepared for. She looked at me and she goes, what? I said, I'm excited that you're my girlfriend. And she goes, did you not hear a word I said last night? And I'm like, well, I heard, I heard everything you said. But apparently when she turned into the wah, 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 she said this. She goes, Roddy, I really like spending time with you. I think you're funny. I, I love hanging out with you. But I just want to be your friend. And you know what? I made some conclusions in my head, so much so that I totally missed what she said. And here I stand with her, and I'm like, okay, this is embarrassing. And I'm looking around the room, and, you know, I have to be honest with you to this day. I do, do stalk her on Facebook still. <laughs> and I am curious how she's aged. Has she aged like a bottle of wine, or has she aged like a piece of cheese left on the countertop? But that really doesn't matter. I share all this with you because you are my therapist. And this is about all I'm going to say about this right now. I'm going to turn things over to John. So how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands, have an experience of some kind like that, that you don't talk about very often, but when it pops up and you hear about it, um, and someone says, so how are you doing with that experience that happened in your past? You simply respond by saying, what? I'm fine. I'm fine. And maybe it wasn't a teenage heartbreak. Maybe it was a childhood disappointment. Maybe it was a marriage that ended badly. Maybe it was a job that you got fired from. But it was some experience in your life where you thought it was going one direction and the experience went a totally different direction and it devastated you. You might even say it crushed you. And what do you do with that? What do you do with that? And most of the time what we do with those things is we stuff those things, we bury those things, we push those things down and we say, I'm fine. I'm fine. But that's not a good place to be. Because the dangerous thing is that when we stuff those things and bury those things, especially when someone approaches us and invites us to engage about this issue or this past, this story, this experience, whatever it is, we have an opportunity at that moment in time to walk backwards and to see it very differently. To see it differently. But when we fail to do that, it leaves us once again alone with all the pain, with all the struggle, with all the heartache, with all the emotion, and it leads us in a very lonely place, a lonely place. You know, studies have been done about the danger of loneliness. It's a pretty dangerous thing. You see, when people are alone, their, heart, their blood pressure goes up. When people are alone, their stress hormones increase. When people are alone, they're set up for addictive behaviors. And you're like, well, that's not where I was going when I walked away from it. But at some level, we walk away from people who want to talk and process and walk with us through difficult things in our lives, and we end up alone. You know, women are by nature much more wired to talk about and process things. Guys were not. I imagine if Roddy went home, and he didn't tell us this part of the story, told his dad what happened, his dad probably said, well, just suck it up. There's more fish in the sea, you know. That's what dads say, you know. Move on. You know, life will go on, right? And without realizing, unintentionally, we just suppress and push down all of those things. The truth is that when we don't deal with hard things that happen, we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week as it relates to the subject of grief. When we don't deal with the hard things that happen in our lives, we're paralyzed by them. We're in bondage to them. 
We don't ever want to go there. And if you have things in your life and things in your story and things in your past that you hope no one ever finds out about, um, those are things that likely need to be looked at and explored. Last week we launched our study, and our study is entitled, It's I'm Fine. And we launched our study by asking this question, how's your heart? How's your heart? And I challenge you to explore that question and really look at that. I mean, one of the ways to do that um, was this whole idea of looking at your emotions. Your emotions are like the dashboard warning lights on your car. The dashboard warning lights. And these dashboard warning lights tell you that if you don't pay attention to them, over time, it's going to leave you in a place that you don't want to be. And so I encourage you to grab a hold of a feelings chart or feelings wheel. There's a stack of these on the back if you didn't print one out this week. And, and just pause throughout the week and say, what's going on inside of me? What's going on inside of me? Um, what am I feeling at this moment? If I were to ask you right now, as we did last week, what are three words that describe how you're feeling right now? What would those be? Say, John, why is that important? Do I really need to deal with that stuff? Well, the truth is, last week we talked about the fact that God has stamped his image on you. Every single one of us, every person alive, has the image of God stamped in them. And part of the image of God is he's given us a mind that thinks and a heart that feels. And all throughout the Bible, you have references of God and his emotion and what he does with all of that. And so it's something for us to pay attention to as well. Last week I mentioned a resource, and the resource was entitled uh, uh, The Cry of the Soul. It talks about how our emotions reveal our deepest questions about God. And it's a book that looks at these issues as it relates to the Psalms. And so this morning we're not going to talk about the emotions, but we're going to talk about what do I do to navigate this part of my life? What do I do to navigate this part of my life? I want to make a statement to, to you that we're going to work through this morning, and the statement is this. The habits I keep affect those I love the most. Do you believe that? True or false? The habits I keep affect those I love the most. True or false? Well, let's think about it for a moment. So let's say that um, you, uh, you eat healthy. Does that affect the rest of the people in your life? Well, it probably does. If you're the primary preparer of food, then probably the rest of your family will eat healthy. And likely if you eat healthy, then you feel good and, and you have energy and you're able to engage and be a part of people's lives. But on the contrast, if you don't eat healthy, if you don't take care of yourself, if you eat food that's bad for you, likely you're not, number one, going to feel good, number two, not going to have the energy, and number three, not able to engage in the lives of the people that matter to you the most. Let's think about this as it relates to your finances. Is this true with your finances? So if you're careful with your finances, if you... Um, if you don't overspend, if you save, if you plan of how you're going to use your money, you don't go into debt, what will that mean? Well, what will it mean is that you'll be able to be involved in the lives of people that you love, to give generously to them, to do things for them because you want to be a part of your life because you have the resources to do that. But what happens if you spend carelessly, if you get yourself way in over your head in debt, if you um, can't pay your bills, What's that going to mean to the people that you love the most? You're probably going to be hitting them up because you need money. And you're not going to be able to do things. And you're often going to say, well, I would really like to, but I can't. So the truth is, the habits that I keep affect those that I love the most. So what are some habits that we should be keeping? Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. But before we get to that, I want us to look at a principle in the Bible that reinforces 
this truth, a principle in the Bible that reinforces this. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Galatians chapter 6, Galatians chapter 6, it's page 946 in the Bibles that are there in your seats. Galatians 6, page 946, you can follow on your phone or tablet as well. Let me tell you a little bit about Galatians. Galatians is a letter written by Paul to a group of Christ followers in the first century, a group of churches. It would be like a letter being written to the churches in Reinhold's. This would be all the churches in Reinhold's. That's what Galatians was. It was a letter to the churches in Galatia. And most of these letters are what's called situational letters, meaning it wasn't just a letter of Paul saying, hey, let me tell you what's happening in my life and giving them some details. Paul was writing about something that was going on in those churches. Somehow he heard about it, and now he's writing a letter back to them. You say, well, what was the situation? We don't usually, in most cases, we don't know. And so we have to surmise based on what the content that he was writing about. And so Paul, in this letter, was writing to these group, this group of churches, and they were wrestling with, they were struggling with trying to figure out how do we make sense out of the Old Testament on all the rules and the regulations, and yet this new way that Jesus talks about that's based on love, it's all about loving God and loving others. How do we make those things work together? Shouldn't we just do both? And Paul's saying, no, no. This is done, it's finished, it's been completed. You need to set this aside and you just need to focus on Jesus and what he calls you to do and live out. And they were really struggling to figure out how to do that. And at the end of the book, Paul writes a couple of verses at the end that I want us to look at and see a principle that's going to come out that will help us as we talk about these habits that can affect our relationships. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, he says this. He says, don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what? He sows. You say, what's Paul talking about there? I, I don't know exactly, but I would have to conclude that there was this perception that it, it really doesn't matter to God. I can just do what I want. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I can still follow Jesus, but I like keeping all the rules, and so I'm just going to keep all the rules and follow Jesus. Paul says, no, that's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. A person reaps what they sow. He's using an agricultural metaphor here or picture for us to understand. You reap what you sow. If you plant tomatoes, what are you going to get? Tomatoes, right? Tomatoes. If you plant cucumbers, what are you going to get? Cucum you can say this. You can say this. If you plant potatoes, what are you going to get? Onions. No, not onions. You know, you're going to get potatoes, right? Right? Whatever you put in the ground, you know in four months, that's what's going to grow. That's what's going to grow. Every once in a while in my garden, I rotate where things are and, and the seeds don't all die and something shows up that I didn't plant. But that's not normally the case. Whatever you plant is what's going to grow. And it doesn't grow instantly. It doesn't grow overnight. It takes time, doesn't it? It takes time. And Paul goes on to say this. He goes on to say, whoever sows the flesh... From the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What's Paul saying there? What's Paul saying there? He's saying that if you sow to the flesh, what's sow to the flesh? What's that mean? Basically, Paul is saying if you make your life all about you, if it's all about what you want and your needs and you feeling good and you getting what you want, then you're going to make a mess of your life. It's going to lead to what? Destruction. Destruction. If your life is all about you, you're going to make a mess of life. And maybe some of you, that's where you're at today. You've made life all about you. 
and it's cost you a marriage, it's cost you a job, and it's a mess. It's a mess. Paul says, but if you make your life about pleasing the Spirit or pleasing God, what's going to happen? You're going to experience life, eternal life, life in this life at its best and life forever with God. So Paul says, whatever you sow, whatever the habits and patterns of your life, that's what you're going to reap. That's what you're going to reap. And he ends with some encouragement in verse 9. He says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. If we don't give up. Paul says this planting and sowing and harvesting thing, you can't quit. You can't quit. Because it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. You go and put that seed in the ground, right? You cover it over. You come the next morning, is there going to be a plant? Yes or no? No. Not unless it's a chia pet. Then it'll grow, right? You know, that's it. You come the next day, is there going to be a seed? Is there going to be a plant? No. The next day, no. Usually five to seven days, right? Then you're going to start to get something that's going to push its way up through the ground. And when you get a plant, are you going to have something you can eat off the plant right away? Yes or no? No. No. It's going to take a couple of weeks for that plant to come to, to grow. And then you have some buds on that plant, right? And then it takes a few more weeks for that bud to produce some some vegetable or fruit, and then a little bit longer for it to actually be. It's usually a several-month process, right? Paul says this process is going to take some time. Whatever you're sowing, whatever you're planting in your life is going to take some time. So he says, don't, don't get worn out doing the things that you need to do because if you don't give up, something good is going to happen. And if you think about this in terms of relationships... This is incredibly, incredibly true. Because I'm a type of person, anybody that knows me knows one of the characteristics about me is I am incredibly persistent. I rarely, 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 rarely ever give up. I just don't. It's just the way I'm wired. But when I'm in a relational situation, and it is tough, it takes every fiber of my being to stay in it. It really, really does. When my wife and her are in a conflict and I've said or done something I, I shouldn't have and, and she confronts me about it or I get angry at her, it takes everything inside of me not just to walk away, not just to shut down. Everything inside of me to do that. It takes everything inside of me when I have been treated poorly. I've been kind and gracious and loving and someone treats me harshly for me not to think of a way to then bring it back on them. Everything inside of me. But Paul says, if you don't give up, if you don't quit, there's something that you will reap. Most of you know that I'm a runner and... Uh, it's something I do all year long, don't really ever stop. And yesterday was one of those days. I hadn't run, only run, ran, ran once this week. I thought I should get out. I looked at the temperature. It's cold, but okay, I know how to dress for the cold, but I didn't factor in the wind. And so I went outside and I went out a couple miles. I could feel the wind kind of on this side or this side. And I got all the way out to Sunoco and Reamstown. I live in Denver. And I turned around and that wind was just brutal. It was so cold, my fingers and toes and other parts of my body were completely numb. And I was about halfway through, I forgot my phone, I couldn't call my wife, I'm like, how am I going to get home? I just got to put one foot in front of the other. And 
I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I just knew if I didn't give up, I would eventually get there. People say to me all the time, I've run long distances, run marathons. I'm like, how could you do that? I could never do that. I could never do that. Never do that. But um, I learned a long time ago that you can. You can. This is a training chart similar to something I use. If you look at that first, the first line, week one, that's about 12 to 14 miles. And, and the average runner that's kind of a casual runner, that's what they, they might run three or four times a week, a couple miles each time. And you're like, I could never do that. But if you increase a little bit each time over time, by the time you get down to week 13, you're running 35, 40 miles. And you're prepared to be able to do that. And that's the principle Paul's, Paul's saying. He's saying, if you discipline yourself, whatever you reap, that's what you're going to sow. The habits you keep will determine eventually what you reap. The habits you keep will eventually determine what you reap. And so the question to ask ourselves as we look into this study is what are the habits that you are practicing in the relationships in your life? What are the habits that you are practicing in the relationships in your life? If there was a way for you to improve your marriage, improve your relationship with your kids, make things better with mom and dad, have a better relationship with your coworkers, would you be willing to do it? Would you be willing to do it? But what if it required you to connect more with your emotions to make it happen? Now would you be willing to do it? Pete Scazzaro says this, The sad reality is most of us will never go forward into the pain of staying where we are. is unbearable. Until you are discontent with status quo, nothing changes. You say, John, I want a better marriage. John, I want to be a better parent. John, I want a better relationship with mom and dad. And until you hate where you're at, Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. Here at CCC, this is really important to us, and one of our, our purpose is to love others deeply. We believe God has designed us for relationships, and He wants those to be meaningful and the best they can possibly be. In order to do that, it's going to require some work and effort on our part and some habits that we can reproduce over and over and over and over again. In our Emotionally Healthy Relationships course, we talk about some of those. It's running right now. We talk about things like clarifying expectations and stop mind reading and, and listening incarnationally and fighting um, cleanly, things like that. And I'm not going to go over those with you, but I want to give you four habits this morning that I want you to take with you. I got these from Clay Scroggins down at North Point that I want you to take with you. I want you to think about these all week long, all right? Four habits. So write these down or snap some pictures. The first is admit your feelings are in the car, but don't let them drive you. Admit your feelings are in the car, don't let them drive you. So part of this is for the thinkers in the room and part of this is for the feelers, okay? So for those of you that are thinkers... The first thing you've got to do is admit your feelings are in the, uh, when stuff is happening. Okay? You've got to learn to be honest about what's going on inside of you. Don't stuff it. Don't bury it. Don't repress it. Don't say it doesn't matter. Don't deny it. Don't ignore it. You've got to be honest. Admit they're there. God stamped them inside of you. They're there. They're there. You say, do I have to stay with them? Well, just admit they're there. Let's start with that. Okay? Baby steps. Baby steps. Admit they're there, and then say, now what am I going to do about the situation that I found myself in? Okay? So admit they're there, and then navigate what you need to do. For the feelers, for those of you that when something happens, you don't, not, you don't have one emotion, you have two and three and four emotions. 
for you. It's acknowledging the emotions are there, but then not letting them paralyze, control, dominate, drive the car of your life. Acknowledge they're there, but don't let them drive the car of your life. Now, for those of you that are thinkers, you're afraid that if you say to someone, how are you feeling, and they talk to you, you're going to get sucked in this emotional vortex that you're never going to be able to get out of. Okay, I can see it in your eyes, you know. That's not where it has to go. Say, what do you mean, John? I'm afraid. I'm scared, you know. Grown men, scared to ask this question, you know. Um, All you have to do is acknowledge the emotion that is there. You're like, well, what if I don't feel it? That's okay. It's okay. Just acknowledge the emotion. I'm scared. That sounds difficult that you're scared. Acknowledge it. That's what people want to have done with their emotions. Do you, want to, do, you want to do, do you want to talk anymore? No, I just need to stay here for a little bit. All right, well, when you want to talk about it, let me know, and we'll talk about it. You see, we're scared of this thing that we're afraid of, this part of what God has stamped in us because we're afraid of what might happen. And we simply have people in our lives, our kids, our spouse, other people, that they just simply need someone to acknowledge the emotion exists, that it's real. It took my wife and I a long time going back and forth. She's like, why don't you feel what I feel? I said, I don't know why I don't feel what you feel, but I don't feel what you feel. She's like, well, you need to feel. I, no, 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 I don't need to feel what you feel. You can feel what you feel, I can feel what I feel, and we can be okay. We can, but I need to acknowledge what you feel and be aware of it and say it's tough. It's hard. I'm not there, but it's hard. It seems hard. And then you can engage in the thinking process. For those of you that are feelers, I mean, if you're honest, what do you want from your close friends? What do you want from, you know, students? What do you want from your parents? What do you, you know, spouses? What do you want from a spouse? You want someone simply to acknowledge the emotion that's there and be present in it. You don't need it fixed right now. You, you would like it fixed in a little bit, but not right now, not right in the motion, in the moment. That's what you need. So admit your feelings in the car, but don't let them drive you. And we talked a lot about this last week. So if you weren't here with us last week, I encourage you to go online and listen to the message from last week. Number two is maintain an ongoing dialogue with emotionally healthy people. Let me ask you this. Do the people that you spend time with rub off on you? Yes or no? Yes. Yes, they do. The people you spend time with rub off on you. You don't necessarily become like them, but you learn about them, right? You spend time with, with, uh, with guys that you know, like to hunt, and they talk about hunting. You might not be a hunter. You're going to learn about hunting just because you spend time with them, right? You spend time with people that love Penn State football. You know, they're gonna, you're going to hear all this stuff about Penn State football. You might not love Penn State. You're going to actually learn about that, right? Solomon said this. He says, if you hang out with wise people, what are you going to become? What do you think? Wise. If you hang out with foolish people, what are you going to become? A fool. That's what Solomon said. Wisest guy that ever lived. And so part of what you need to do is you need to spend time with people who are emotionally healthy. You say, John, what are emotionally healthy people? They're people that are aware of what's going on inside of them, and they're okay talking about that with other people. They don't suppress it, bury it, deny it. They don't talk about painful things and then laugh. They're honest about what's going on inside of them. And see, this is what we hope and one of our goals in our small groups is, is that you're with people who are honest about how they feel. They don't stuff it and hide it. You say, so John, if I join a small group, I'm going to be with a group of emotionally healthy people? No, that's not going to happen. Sorry. I hate to disappoint you. but Why not? Because we're all in process. We're all learning. We're all growing. 
But my hope and our hope is that you will with people who have turned their rows and face one another and are willing to be fully present and engaged with each other. That's what we're hoping will take place. Here's the third one. The third one is prioritize feedback from others over your own assessment. Uh, let me see your hands. Just honesty here. We're in church. How many of you think you're right most of the time? See your hands. Come on, we're in church. Put those hands up, you know. You put your spouse's hand up, you know. So. Um, we do, right? I do. I think I'm right most of the time. Most of the time I think I'm right. I think I'm right. But how often do you ask others, so what do you think? How often do you ask others, so what do you think of me? There's a statement I heard that we're going to spend some time exploring in a, another series. What is it like to sit on the other side of me? What is it like to sit on the other side of me? You see, a proud person doesn't care what anybody else thinks. A proud person isn't concerned what others think. A proud person says, I'm right, you're wrong, that's just, it's my way or the highway. But a humble person says, I'm willing to hear what you have to say and consider it. Consider it. You know, in Philippians, Paul said this, he says, in talking about Jesus, he said, he didn't think of himself more highly than anybody else, but he actually humbled himself did exactly what God wanted him to do, even though it cost him his life. Peter puts it this way. He says, humble yourself, and then God will lift you up. A humble person says, what is it like to sit on the other side of me? That's a healthy, emotionally healthy habit in your life. What would it be like for you to say to your spouse, what is it like to sit on the other side of me? And then just sit there and listen. Students, what would it be like for you to say to your parents, what is it like to sit on the other side of me? And listen to what your mom and dad have to say. Parents, what would it be like to say to your kids, what's it like to sit on the other side of me? And sit and listen to what they have to say. Um, coworkers, what would it be like to say to a coworker? Employers, what would it be like to say to an employee, what is it like to sit on the other side of me? You see, what this does is it, allow, it's, it expresses our heart and our willingness to ask this, other, this person that question. It says, your opinion, your perspective is important and I value it and I'm willing to consider it because I just might need to see things your way instead of my way. Instead of my way. One more, and we talked about this last week. Invite God in the process with you. The, the truth is you can't do this on your own. You can't do this on your own. Um, if you were here with us last week, and then I encourage you to go back and listen. If you weren't, I encourage you to go back to listen to the message. I talked about some of my own journey and how my own journey as I walked into this process that God met me there and God walked with me and God showed up in my life in transformational ways. And that's what I long for God to do in your lives. You know, we can't face these challenges alone. This is not just a psychological exercise. It's faith stretching to say, God, I want to love the people in my life deeply. I want to love the people in my life the way you loved me. In order for that to happen, you're going to have to expose some things in my heart and in my life and my relating patterns that have to change. And what's it going to take to change those things? 
You see, most of us don't even think about, I know I didn't for a long time, what are healthy relationship habits? Healthy relationship habits. I thought about healthy physical habits, healthy spiritual habits. Rarely ever thought about healthy relationship habits. And these are some steps that I want to encourage you to take because remember, whatever you plant, whatever you plant, that's what you are going to reap. And if you fail to establish emotionally healthy habits, it's ultimately going to undermine the relationships you care about the most. When I sit and talk with parents who are estranged from their kids or a couple who can't barely even to be in the same room with one another anymore, they no longer can listen to each other. Um, they don't have any relationships in their life that are helping them move forward in healthy ways. Um, they're either they're staunch and stuck in their thoughts and in their emotions. And there's no hope for the relationship that they treasure the most. Whatever you reap is what you're going to sow. And what are the habits that you're establishing right now with the relationships in your life? Kids, spouses, friends, co-workers. Do you have relationships where these kinds of habits are taking place? Because remember, God says, whatever you're going to sow, that is what you are going to reap. You know, this process of addressing these issues in our lives, it, it doesn't come easily, it doesn't come quickly. And it requires us to be humble before God and to invite Him in the process to change us. I want to invite you to bow your heads and as you do, just to take a moment and um, invite you to talk with God. Tell Him where you're at right now. Just be honest. Um, if there are parts of what I've talked about that have been difficult for you to hear, that you internally feel yourself withdrawing, can you just open your hands and say, God, I, I, I need to give this to you. I need to give this to you, whatever it is. Lord, you know each of our stories. You know our journey. Um, you know the things that have shaped and molded each of our lives. For some of us, that has locked down our emotions. For some of us, we believe that we're always right, whatever that is, God. And, and you really want to change us. And I pray this morning our hearts and our posture can be of this next song that we're going to sing where we're just willing to say, God, I, I just offer this to you. I offer my life, even this part of my life, my emotions and my relationships, I just offer it to you. I, I don't really know exactly what to do. I'm going to try to do some of these things John's talked about. I'm trying to be aware of what's going on inside of me but I'm just going to offer it to you. Lord, make that our